Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturgis. We're continuing a series on shame this morning. And um, I've got to get to a place that I think is a point of, of deliverance. I'm going to do a quick review. Go ahead and get your phones out. And get your cameras open. The quickest ways to take notes are going to be able to t- take snapshots of that. And you can write them down when you go home. I think I have some pretty, not exhaustive, but good notes, okay? So we've been here in a series. All of the teachings are online. and This is the seventh part. It's one of the longest series that we've done since the Grace series about seven years ago, okay? Shame, here's where we started. I'm just going to jump right in without any preamble or illustration. Shame is first introduced in the Garden of Eden. I think you have all of this, Gabe, if you can go ahead and put it up there. I'll see what chunks you have it in. Just leave that up there for a while, okay? Everybody needs time to get that. Shame is first introduced in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2.25 said, you can just look at that and read it, and I'll talk behind it, okay? It says they were naked and not ashamed. What happens then is that deception and fear comes in. That's in Genesis 3. Again, get the teaching. It's all, this is all from Scripture. Deception and fear. Deception is lies about who they were, Adam and Eve. And after deception and fear came in, it causes us to, and this is a distinction, hide from God and cover from each other. We reduce that phrase. I don't have this quote for you, but um, I'm sorry. I'm just thinking of it right now. The language is distinct. They sewed fig leaves together and covered themselves from each other's view, but they knew that wasn't sufficient. They hid from God. So what, that, what shame translates into is this phrase, I can't let you see, I can't let him near. Shame makes us cover ourselves. I'm not going to let you see, and I can't let God get too close. Because why? We feel that there'll be rejections by both things. And that is the ultimate shame statement, okay? We hide from God, we cover from each other. Now, what happened was there was a voice that slithered into that perfection, into that perfect place of existence, and lied to them and suggested to them that they were less than complete. That's where shame starts. There's something wrong with you. God didn't do, make you or give you all that you needed to survive. He started off, he says, has God truly said? Doesn't God know? And isn't it true that? Okay, so here comes the next little chunk of things you can take pictures of. Um, get that number two. Go ahead, Gabe, please. Shame is the result of voices and choices. You will listen to the serpent or you're going to listen to the Savior. Jesus said that in John chapter 8. It's the result of voices and choices. What voice are you listening to? And out of that, you will make choices. Who or what voice am I listening to? The choices I make in response and the choices that I make in response to that voice. It it ultimately lands on us. Voices and choices. And what we did talk about, and I don't have this verse included, in 1 John, you see, we listen to those voices long enough, and they become our own voice. And John wonderfully writes that even when our own heart condemns us, 
God is greater than your heart. I don't care what voice you're listening to, even when it's your own voice saying, I am not this, I am not that, I am not this. Please hear me. There is a revival of freedom coming to this house. It's going to look like nothing we've seen in 17 years. There's a revival of freedom. It is changing. It will change and is changing who we are as a church. The DNA is shifting on the surface. It's going. I'm not saying there's anything wrong or broken. I'm just saying that the book of Hebrews says, I will always have better for you if you will have it. We don't use the phrase around here, the best is yet to come, because we learned, as Paul declares, the best is only attainable when we get to heaven, and we're not there yet. Okay? So our phrase is, the better is yet to come. Now, especially if you're married, look over at your spouse, and they say, baby, I want you to know, I can only get better and better and better. And wait, 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 before you say that, and do not say back to them, well, you sure need to. Do not say that. Okay? Now, look at them. Say, I'm only getting better and better and better. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, good enough. That was free. That wasn't in my notes. Number three, I drove by this, and it needs more time. Number three, Gabe, go ahead. Connection and belonging are two primal needs of human existence. When mankind was first created and placed in the Garden of Eden, he was placed. God placed them. Jesus would speak to Peter in the shadow of or forecasting his upcoming failure. I have a place for you. That place will not. And you belong Connection and belonging are two primal needs of human existence. Both were present in the Garden of Eden. Both were lost on the last day of Eden. Both were reclaimed by and through the cross of Jesus Christ. He said, your place is back. Your place is back. And I love it. Last year, what began all this study on shame was nearly two years ago when we were studying the phrase spirit time from Genesis chapter 3. Listen to me. This is important because part of the renewal and, and of freedom that's coming, revival of freedom that's coming here, is the Holy Spirit looming large in this place. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, everyone listen to the preacher. You can leave those words up there, um, Gabe. I'm going to tell them a backstory. It said that the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the deep. It was formless, formless and void. What we learn and what every theologian agrees is that in the Trinity, the Father speaks, the Holy Spirit activates and forms the Son was the living Word that became the living Word that came and redeemed. But the Holy Spirit is the actuator, activator. He, the Father speaks, the Holy Spirit acts. That's important. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The word cool there, I don't have time to tell you the extended backstory. I'll try and find you the link for this teaching. If you want it, send an email to Tom at newhopeonline.com, Tom at newhopeonline, and I'll send you the link. But here's the short version of that. After 
scores of hours of study on the word ruach translated spirit. It's also translated cool. Uh, Gordon Fee says that translators have worked for the last hundred years at least to quieten down the Holy Spirit. You can't make the Holy Spirit safe. Somebody should have just said amen. You can't make the Holy Spirit safe. If you feel your relationship with God is safe, then that means you have him in a box. Because the work of the comforter is not to make you comfortable. You will find that the primary work of the comforter is constantly to, uh, to, to dislodge you from a comfort zone. I find that absolutely fascinating. The Holy Spirit will mess with you moment after moment. It'll change your attitudes, your thoughts, your history, your prejudice, your unforgiveness. He'll mess with you. It is not safe. He's always poking and prodding. Okay. You needed to know that. If you're a biblical purist from the last day of Eden until the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost being the day the Holy Spirit came back in fullness and filled people, was 4,050 years. That translates to 1,450,278 days. On the last day of Eden, the Holy Spirit withdrew from an unencumbered encounter with mankind. There would be sprinkled visitations of the Holy Spirit across the landscape of the Old Testament, but they did not walk face to face. And if you would just allow me to violate the timeless, spaceless continuum of God's existence and just have fun. Last year on Pentecost, I suggested this, and uh, that every day... For 1,450,278 days, the Holy Spirit turned to the Father and said, Now, by the way, I didn't finish my statement about cool of the day. When I called the Hebrew three different Hebrew scholars and said, Is there any reason why Ruach can't be rendered spirit and day rendered time? And the translation thus, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at spirit time. At spirit time. All of them said, Oh my goodness, absolutely. True story. The language between Genesis 3, 8 and Acts 2, 1 and 2 is very familiar because it said in Acts chapter 2, when the day had fully come. The day was, I believe the, our, our youngest or, or our granddaughter next to the youngest, Brenda Grace, when she's traveling in the car, whether you're going one block or you're going 12 hours, every 30 seconds, she's the worst in the world. Are we there yet? You can't, she's undaunted. You can't dissuade her. You can't be sarcastic. Oh, yeah, we'll be there any second. Really? I mean, she will ask again and again and again, are we there yet? Are we there yet? I tend to think that maybe the Holy Spirit was like Brenda Grace for 1,450,278 days. He turned to the Father and said, are we there yet? Father said, no, not yet. But Acts chapter 2, soon after Jesus ascended, because I go to the Father, the Holy Spirit turned to the Father and said, are we there yet? The Father said, yes, the day has fully come. And he unleashed himself on mankind. What would it be to walk in the fullness of that spirit every day where God is pushing back the boundaries of shame in real time and that voice looms so large 
that we are a people who operate in a confidence. You know, there are people sitting here who have dreams, thoughts, ideas, inventions about things. And shame keeps you absolutely crushed down from trying again. Some who have failed. I am praying for the Holy Spirit that gives you that childlike undauntedness that said, I'm going to dream. I'm going to take that step. I'm going to do that thing because it's spirit time. He lives in me. He imprints himself on me. He writes his word on my heart. I know who I am. Shame is shrinking by the moment. It is dying at the speed of light that shines into the darkness of my soul increasingly. That's a good place to say amen. Hallelujah. Now, all right. Connection and belonging. I've got to come back and teach on that some more in the future. Number four, shame is the feeling that grows from a not enough mentality. I am not whatever enough. Smart enough, man enough, woman enough, pretty enough, quick enough, resilient enough, whatever enough. I'm not enough. That's what happened in the garden. Who they were intrinsically was diminished. But what we learn from Hebrews chapter 12, I quoted earlier, is that the cross is the answer to shame. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Do you know what sin is? Sin is finding my identity outside of God. The Holy Spirit empowers us as we go walking along and we're carrying along these, these weights on our shoulder and I need a bunch of things. And he's saying, Father, I can go. And the Holy Spirit says, just throw that. Get rid of that. Well, certainly it has to be more complicated than that. No. Just get rid of it. Lay aside everything, every source of worth other than the voice of God. Lay it aside. Please hear me. Religion, listen to me, we are scared to death of grace. There's some of you sitting here who have failed and done massively stupid things. You know, your family knows, your heart condemns you, and God is waiting for a moment. Oh, for grace to trust him more. We've studied grace here. I won't put the little illustration or the, the little animation up on the board. Matter of fact, it's one that Pastor Buck did for me 10 years ago. Grace is the pushback of God. Where sin abounds, that is, it squeezes in, grace pushes back. And we're saying... Oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, pastor, I need some of that grace. I need some of that grace. I, I, I'm, I'm get that song with you. Oh, for grace. I just got to get that grace. Let me give you a trick. Everybody listen to the preacher. These aren't in the notes. It's a freebie. Psalm 22 says, Thou art holy, O God, who are enthroned upon the praises of your people, Israel. Listen to me closely. 
If that is more than just a poetic ode, that means when we begin to sing, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. Any worship song, any act of worship, how I proved him o'er and o'er. That's a contraction for over and over, Old English. Jesus, the Bible says that he is enthroned. That is the authority, God in residence, see? And we get a picture of that in Revelation chapter 4. When it says John was in the spirit on the Lord's day, that's code language for John, the gospel writer and revelator that he was worshiping. Let's just take that song. Jesus, Jesus, John is singing on the Lord's day. First day of the week, it was Sunday, we would know. How I trust you. I'm stuck here on this island all by myself. He was on the Isle of Patmos. Jesus, Jesus, but I know you have a plan, Jesus. It said suddenly behind him. Now, what I want to ask you, listen to the preacher. What I want to ask you is if in that moment, God could suddenly pull back the curtain and let you see what was going on. What do you think you would see? Listen to me. That's what happened for John. It said he was worshiping in the spirit on the Lord's day. And suddenly behind him there was the sound of a trumpet much like Moses heard on the mountain when he went up announcing the presence of God. And it said there was a door standing open and it said, look here, come up here, step through. A door literally open. I'm telling you, I'm going to get that animator someday. It opened between two worlds. And what did John see? A throne. John the Revelator in the musical. I'm pointing at Johnny DeLashment for those of you that may listen by audio. You quoted it. What did he see? He saw a throne. He saw a throne. Well, big deal. Why is that a big deal? Because it's a big deal. Because Psalms 22 said, when we worship, thou art holy, O God, who are enthroned upon the praises of your people Israel. What if we would do that? What if we do it outside a church, in your car, in your job? I mean, you're working with that person that has the spiritual gift of obnoxion. I just made up a word. That person, you know who they are. And for many of us, they're your superior or the person over you. And every day you go to work, mm. and they got, they got one of those attitudes. Why? Because they live in shame. Because the way that <coughs> perfection plays its way out, the way that overbearing people and narcissism, and by the way, it may not even be the, their fault. The problem may be you. There's a thought. But you know how to do that? You see that person and you say, and they're, they're going off and doing their little snooty thing, maybe, what it is. And you need to say, just a minute. Just step into that bathroom. Close the door. Jesus, Jesus. How I trust you. I'll be right there. How I proved you or and or what happens? See, why is this important? Oh, for grace to trust him more. Why is it important? There's because Hebrews chapter four, remember Psalm 22, Revelation four. 
He sees the throne. Good news is the throne never travels alone. All of the entourage goes with it, joining in the song. It's massive. That should mess with us a little bit to know that there's this big cloud of people. If you knew the crowd, if you knew the entourage you had following you around at the distance of one song, come on. It went, okay, listen, some of you halfway through the argument with your wife, either one of you needs to turn and say, wait a minute. Jesus, Jesus, come on, come on. See, now, now, now you're already calculating. Okay, it's whoever sings first, that's who wins. It's who, yeah. You're doing that right now. That's terrible, isn't it? Oh, for grace. And you're saying, man, you're right. If I could get that grace, do you know there's only one place in the Bible where the throne of God is given a name, and it's in Hebrews chapter 4. And God said, we used to have a problem. Because there used to exist a mercy seat behind a veil. And you couldn't get there. But that day on the cross when shame was dealt with, the veil was torn in half. And the mercy, unapproachable mercy seat became the throne of God that I would die for you. I did die for you to boldly approach the throne of, anybody know the name of it? Grace. Oh, for grace. You're right, Pastor, I need that grace to trust him more. It's at the reach of a song. It's at the reach of an act of praise. Grace is one song away. Grace is one worship away. Come on. We need to be that kind of people. Don't formulate your next thought to win the argument. Your next response, I'm good at that. I am good at that. Brenda will tell you I'm good at that. I can win most any argument Even though I'm wrong 90% of the time, I can still win. Because wrong's not the issue. Winning is it. Right? Come on. But what would happen? We say, because see, when we sing that song, oh, for grace. I'm going to stop right here. I got more to tell you. I'm going to come back next week. Or actually, we got the the kids coming out to worship next week. It's going to be awesome. But the following week, I'm going to come back to the God that is more than enough, whose opinion is enough. And where unforgiveness crushes the opinion of God. But we're going to stop right here today. And I'm just going to ask this question. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Just going to ask you sitting right there. How many right now in your life circumstance without heads bowed and eyes closed. Matter of fact, go ahead and put your stuff down and stand up. That will give you greater courage to think that we're actually about to stop I don't remember what key I was in. Probably B-flat, I think, wasn't it? Jesus, let me hear. Jesus. Yeah. Tis so sweet. Trust in Jesus, the chorus. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him. How you've proved me over and over. 
Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust Him more. How many here are facing a situation in your life where you need, you need, Lord, I need a baptism of grace to move me into a deeper sense of trust. I've hit the same wall, the same area. Yeah, a lot of us. Come on, you can raise your hand right there. And do not be ashamed. Father, I pray for every person standing under the sound of my voice. Oh, my. Oh, my goodness. Give us that baptism of grace here today in the name of Jesus. For our souls, our lives, so many of us hurt. Hey guys, keep your hands up. Just look at me. I'll go first. I'll go first. my wife this week. We've been married 40 years. I'm not young. Put your hands down for a second because your arm will get tired. You're going to go back up. I said I've never felt like I fit anywhere. A very, very good friend of Laura Mondale asked me once about 10 years ago. We were in a conversation. She says, are you ever fully present? I said, that's the best question I've ever been asked the answer is no if I have one failing that I look back across the landscape of my life as a father a husband and a pastor listen there, no one will tell you there's never a crisis that I'm not there for I'm there because I can fix anything when your worth is found in what you do you'll come to believe that and I believe I can I can come and pray for you I can come and Minister in that needed crisis. I can fix your car, your air conditioner, mow your lawn. I can do that. And I'm not being arrogant. I'm driven to do that because of an echo of a voice from hell at nine years old that says, after one year of him molesting me, said, You're not normal. Don't tell your parents you're broken. Tell your parents they'll put you in a mental institute. And so I'll go first. I want that voice to be shut down. Make no mistake, I believe God's redeemed it. I believe He's used it for sermons, songs, and also, and He will continue to. But I walk by things God would have me to do. You see, because if you want someone to sit with you and be present, call my wife. 
she's great. And she knows that. You think I'm making a joke. She's just one of the truly a baptism of holy, and I mean wholeness. I don't mean religious. Just a good whole person. And she doesn't think about, she never has the thought, if I'm just here, that's enough. She doesn't have that thought. She doesn't need to have that thought. She's just there. Did you know for the 17 years we've been together, if if all of us have been together, if I've come to your home after someone's died, we've had this conversation on the way there. Here it goes. Baby, they don't need one more person to entertain. We live in the South. And they're going to have to conjure up the, hi, Pastor Tom, thank you. I don't want them to have to spend that energy on waking. They need their space. They don't need me there. And, you know, there's, and she would say, and see, you're going to think, I'm a lunatic. I'm not a lunatic. I'm a smart guy. You just need to be there. Okay. I remember sitting through one and we were there and I wanted to fix something desperately. I just wanted to fix something. But you can't fix those moments. There's no moment like that. It's all about presence and essence. And so we came in and we sat down. Sure enough, the ladies, would you like a glass of tea? No, 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 no. Brenda said, sure. I looked at her like, what's wrong with you? And so Brenda began to engage them. And she just asked a question, talked to them about life. And when we went and got in the car, this was about 10 years ago. I can remember what we drove here. I said, man, you're so good at that. I said, but, and then I cited for her all the 12 questions that she ran. I memorized them. I said, I can do that. See, because I reduced her being to doing. And if I memorize the 12 questions, I can do that. You say, brother, you're giving me more information than I want. I am never calling you for anything. No, no, you will call me for things. I'll pray. I'll sing you a song. I'll mow your lawn. I'll fix your counters. Or unplug your toilet. I'm good at that. Somewhere along the way, I pray some grace is left behind. But what would happen? What would all happen if we're <laughs> looked at her the other night and said, You just think you're you're worthy of love. And she says, I am. And she says, and you should feel that way. I said, but I don't. So I'm going first this morning. I'm giving you more information than you want. I want that voice shut down. You know what I mean, Hans? I want that voice shut. I want that voice shut. I want that voice shut. (laughs) There's a revival of freedom coming here. But it precipitated by this we're doing right now. There's going to be a price to pay for it. I'm not excited about it. (laughs) That's why I hate leading. We're going to do this. I'll dismiss you because we're a few minutes over what we normally do. I just want to come by and pray. With everyone here. Just join your hand, look you in the face. Oh, for grace to trust Him more.
So I'm going to pray a prayer. And those of us who need to leave and pick up our kids and do stuff, that's great. But those of you who just allow me, I just want to walk through. I'm not going to keep you. I just want to look you in the face and say, Father, would you give us both a baptism of grace that would push back and silence the voices and create a larger space for who you are in us to be expressed and emancipated, set free. May truth unhide us from the potential of who you are and our deepest fears about ourselves. May we have that moment of grace here today. So if you're here today, before you have a chance to socialize or talk or laugh or see someone you haven't seen in seven days, that's cool. But just move out from your seat. I just want to take a minute and we'll pray a benediction. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.